Hey guys, it's your host Julian. This week I'm sitting down with King of the Hill director, Mr. Anthony Leoy. We chat about what the early days of King of the Hill looked like, how he composes a scene while directing, some cool prank stories are shared, and he also is talking about his time on American Dad, Big Mouth, and HR. Now, before we roll into this episode, there's a little housekeeping we gotta do. If you haven't yet, you should check us out on Patreon. We're offering three tiers with a lot of fun perks. Some of those perks included and in those three tiers are a special shout out to the patrons, question priority, early and ad-free access to the audio and video chats, voting on upcoming retrospectives, and so much more. If you're listening to this podcast and you think we've earned it, drop us a five-star rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks so much. Now, without further ado, let's get on to my chat with the great Anthony Leoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What's My Head podcast. Today, I'm joined by Anthony. Anthony, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. This is going to be great. Anytime, man. <laughs> uh, if there's anything that I love talking, I love talking King of the Hill. So like we've done with all of our other guests, I figure the best thing to do or the first step we should do is let's take a take a trip back in that metaphorical DeLorean, man, that time machine. Uh, what was that first day walking into film Roman for King of the Hill like? You remember that day? Barely. nineteen ninety seven it was it was uh the beginning of nineteen ninety seven um i remember there's uh only like two other people there and just like Mm -hmm. i had just moved to la by the way like um i i came from new york i was working at mtv prior to that Mm -hmm. uh in ninety five ninety six working on daria uh i think at the time the head uh was a show doing storyboard revisions right and i was just like daria kind of depressed me even though everyone loves that show like i was having a hard time on season one i was like i gotta, I gotta get the fuck out of here i gotta california is where they're making all the shows so you know uh, visited la visited san francisco and and which where am i gonna go am i gonna go here or there mm-hmm. san francisco in august was too fucking cold and without a car my ass was killing me like walking well that's funny oh but I, from walking up and down the hills <laughs> yeah and um so i chose la but what i'm getting at is they hired me because like i think they were gearing up for season two of king of the hill they uh and they saw on my resume oh mtv that means beavis and butthead that means mm-hmm. uh mike judge he's hired and they, and they just hooked me and and uh got you know l- Landed in LA and immediately started on this show. Didn't know anybody, didn't know where I was, didn't know uh, the town at all, but uh, made some great friends. So on my first day, I just like poked my head up. Hi, uh, I'm like in my mid 20s, dumb kid who thought they knew everything. And I look over a cubicle wall. I was like, hi, I'm Anthony. And I meet uh, uh, um, two guys that uh, uh, were background designers, uh, Joseph Holt, mm-hmm. uh, and who went on to go to be uh, art director for those Disney uh, um, Mickey shorts, the new Mickey shorts mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, anyway, I, we don't need to talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> but but like, uh, the people that you, I met uh, mm-hmm. we are, we're, we're lifelong friends. Like, these are people that, uh, I guess, when you're in the trenches together, uh you just bond and and when you're a dumb mid-20 year old <laughs> it's easy, and everyone's the same age you just you just bond but like the first day it was just like exciting mm-hmm. i mean it's like uh i've always wanted to make cartoons 
And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this story. It was, uh, it was Empire Strikes Back that got me into animation. My dad took us to go see Empire Strikes Back in the movie theater. And when I learned that the Tauntaun was a stop motion mm-hmm. and the AT-ATs and stuff, I was like, that's what I want to do. I'm like 10 <laughs> years old. I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. So the fact that like, you know, in New York, I was doing like uh, storyboard revisions, like I said, on Daria and, and, and a couple shows here and there or commercials. Mm-hmm. But like moving to California to get like my first real primetime gig on, on King of the Hill was a dream come true. It was just uh, like I learned so much on, yeah. on that show. But um, what to do, what not to do, <laughs> mostly, <laughs> you know. <laughs> those those um, are always fun stories, man. It, it it's so I've never been the biggest Star Wars fan. I I like them because my oldest son likes them, you know. But I really mm-hmm. feel I'll be thirty four in a couple months. So I, it's not like my generation missed it because there's so many kids my age that grew up on those, just like you. You know, their dad took them to go see it. Um, but it was just me. It was just like when I was like in the heyday of my movie watching. Like a lot of the sensibilities that I have for movies, TV shows, cartoon shit like that. You know, all started with my grandpa. Uh, you know, I saw Goodfellas, like the first two minutes of Goodfellas, I saw, you know, Ray Liotta giving that whole monologue. And then my yeah. grandpa would cut it off right there. Um, way too young. Seven, eight yeah. years old. I saw that, you know, and then it, it so kind you grew of grew up devolved. to be a gangster. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> so it's funny. I always wanted to be in the mafia. I've told this story a few yeah. times. So ladies and gentlemen, I apologize. So I always wanted to be in the mafia because my idea and my knowledge of the mafia was that first two minutes of Goodfellas, you know, Ray Liotta talking about, they always had the best dress, best clothes or the, they were always dressed the best in clothes. You know, nobody messed with them. They ate great food. They were playing cards, you know, they're playing parking cars at midnight, yeah. one o'clock and nobody said anything. So I assume that's what the mafia meant when I'm really young. And like uh-huh. I said, right after that monologue with Ray Liotta, my grandpa would turn the channel. I never knew what came next. Mm-hmm. So I've had this fascination with the mafia ever since I was very little. And then I took four years of Italian in high school just so I could watch The Godfather without subtitles, right? That was my only goal. And then I get to go to Italy like we had talked. <clears throat> I get to go to Italy when I'm 17. I think I was a junior in high school, I believe. Um, you know, if you did four years, three years of uh, of of language in high school, you could you know sign up to go on this trip. You'd have to pay for it, but you could go to the trip. You qualified for it. So I go over there, see all this shit. And then it wasn't until I was about 12 until I knew what the mafia really was. We go to a Barnes and Nobles or a Books a Million. John Cotty had just released his autobiography. I think he had either just passed away or just went to prison. I can't remember which one it was, Um, but he had his new book out. And I remember my mom saying, hey, you can get any book you want. It was with my uh, younger brother and younger sister. So I knew this book was not my age late, you know, my age range. So I slid the book underneath my younger brother, my younger sister's book. And then my mom wasn't paying attention. She's like, oh, my God, my boy's going to read. He's going to make something of himself, right? So she buys this book and then I'm in the back of the truck and then I'm flipping through it and I go, mom, what's a Colombian necktie? And she does the whole fucking swerve jerky thing. She's like, what the fuck are you talking about? So I was like, well, it's in this book. What does this mean? And then she was like, what book? And then she snatches. She's like, why the fuck did you get this book? I was like, well, you paid for it. You said I could have whatever book I want. This is the book I want. I never got to finish that book. I never read that book because I never got it back. But that completely killed my fascination for the mafia. I still find it a very fascinating topic. However, I don't want to be in the mafia anymore uh, because it's terrifying. Yeah, murder. And- yeah, <laughs> drugs. You know, yeah. Colombian neckties. Now you know yeah. what it means. Right? <laughs> I do. It took me a little while to figure it out, but uh, you know. So getting that, back, yeah. 
getting my dog back is to barking out the window. Honey bear, come on. <laughs> Man, dogs and cats. I had to put mine out. Uh, I had to put mine outside because she likes to come and whenever I'm on the thing, like sit in my lap. And then she's 70 pounds. I was like, you're too fucking big for this. And, you know, it's too hot for this shit. Um, <laughs> but, you know, getting back to getting back to you and, and King of the Hill, man. Uh, so, like I said, I enjoy those first day stories because it's generally whenever we go someplace, it's 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 always burnt like right here in our mind. You know, whether it's the smells, what was going on, what happened, you know, what you were wearing, yeah. shit like that. You know, so those are always fascinating times and stories. Uh, do you remember as far as the first episode you got to work on? I know that's a long time ago and hard, probably hard to remember. Do you remember the first episode you got to work on? Oh, the first one I got to work on. Yeah, because I was hired to do layout. And I don't remember the first episode I got to touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember. It was sometime in season two, early season two. Um, so, yeah, yeah. We we did layout. You know, do we need to explain the process? Oh, no, 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 no. You're perfectly fine. Uh, no, they're um, pretty well versed. Uh, so... Yeah, I mean, hired to do uh, character layout. So I wasn't allowed mm-hmm. to touch the backgrounds. And I remember, like, spending, you know, I kicked through my character, my work really fast. I'm waiting to talk to the director. So I was like, all right, I'll just sketch in a background while mm-hmm. I'm waiting. And, uh, oh, man, I don't know if I should tell the story or not. <laughs> Go for it. We can cut it out if you don't want yeah. it out there after. <laughs> well, it's just like. I, this is an example of what not to do. This is I learned early on how not to behave as a director. Because like I, I went in there. It's like my first meeting with the director, and like mm-hmm. he's like, "You're only supposed to be the character artist." I was like, "Yeah, yeah," but I was sitting around waiting with my fucking thumb up my ass. You know, so I just drew a fence and a tree behind it. No big fucking deal. It's on a separate piece of paper. This is all you know. My 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 what's going on in my twenty five year old head. So this director, man, he picks up an eraser and starts like going, erasing the tree that I drew on a separate piece of paper <laughs> while staring at me because I'm only supposed to do the characters, you know? And I was just like, it's a separate piece of paper, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> he was just making an example by erasing yeah. it in front of me. And I was just like, wow, you're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so I learned early on what, how not to behave to... Uh, th- and that was like m- my first few days there, man. Like literally my first scene. <laughs> yeah. That's my fucking memory of this fucking <laughs> dude being an asshole to me. <laughs> That's fantastic. Now, uh, <laughs> it's still there, man. It's all right it's, there. Um, yeah, and here is my broken heart. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you were yeah. ta- you were talking about like, like like things to remember about the studio, things smells and this sights. Mm-hmm. So we shared our, like film Roman at the time, like there was Simpsons below us and there was other shows going on. Like mm-hmm. I remember Garfield at one point being there and whatever. I don't know. Has anyone told you about the, the mad crapper? Or no. The, or, the, or the bird nester? No, please tell us both. Yeah, yeah. So these are these stories. They might've been the same person, but like somebody would make a bird nest on the toilet out of, out of each individual square of toilet paper. And they must have taken a long time because it was like delicately placed and thick. <laughs> it was like a, a thick, but they wouldn't fucking flush and they would just leave it there for the next Gross. person to find. Like, like, look at my, look, like, look at my art that I created. Look at my sandcastle. 
And then that evolved to them fucking smearing their shit on the wall. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. I remember going in there. This is early on too. And it's like, oh, somebody busted up the toilet roll. And I and I kicked the piece of plastic, you know, the little rod that, that holds uh-huh. the toilet paper in place. That the whole thing was busted up. So I kicked a little piece of the plastic and I, I was like, all right, all right, let me kick this other piece of plastic out of the way. Smear. My foot just smeared human feces on the floor in the bathroom. So early days of King of the Hill, we worked with fucking animals. <laughs> I don't know a who bunch that of was. Pirates. Yeah. Maybe it was Paul Scarlatta. Let's just say it was Paul Scarlatta. <laughs> God damn it, Paul. Be better. <laughs> Do better, Paul. No, but uh, that was true. This is all fucking true stories. Early days of film Roman. <laughs> These are things you won't get on the uh, direct to DVD. The yeah, DVD cuts, cool. ladies and gentlemen, the uh, behind the scenes. You won't hear about the uh, Phantom Shitter or the uh, Bird Nester, man. Um, so when I want to take a step back and go back to that that director that erased that. Now, yeah. I've been extremely fascinated. I believe this came up. It either came up with Whitney or it came up with Paul. Um, backgrounds. So the folks know that listen to my show. I am absolutely just enamored by folks that do backgrounds because I, I think it's there's something so interesting about world building. You know, the characters are really cool, man, but it's just like the setting that ever, I don't like I said, I don't know why that I like backgrounds more than something else. It's, I guess it's just you like what you like. But okay. the backgrounds in particular on King of the Hill are some of the most beautiful backgrounds. Now, one of the episodes we will talk about uh, is Wings of the Dope, obviously, ladies and gentlemen. We talked about that one with Paul, but it was when Buckley passed or after Buckley passed away, Luann gets visited by Buckley's angel. Some of the backgrounds in this episode in particular, some of the most beautiful design or beautiful backgrounds I've seen in anything, right? That that I love that that twilight hour or whatever that's considered, where it's like the purple, the red, the orange, and then the stars and all that other shit. I think that's there's something so magical about a sky view like sound like Bob Ross, right? You know, it's just something beautiful and magical about about those those colors. Um and did you get to do much backgrounds or, you know, did you go from character layout strictly to directing or how does that work out? Oh for you? yeah. So, so, so yeah, from layout, then I, I moved into storyboards. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, the first show that I storyboarded on was Halloween. With, oh, that's uh, a great one. Yeah. Uh, John Rice directing um, Mike DiMartino was the AD. Now mm-hmm. Mike DiMartino, coincidentally, I met, at MTV, he was working mm-hmm. on the head. So, uh, so I was like, made the decision to move west. I was like, oh, Mike DiMartino's in town. Oh shit, he's on King of the Hill. Oh my god, he's he's the AD of this episode. Like, so it was great to re- reunite with him. Uh, uh, so I did storyboards with them, and then right after that episode, the uh, uh, Cindy Tang needed one of the directors needed an AD. She mm-hmm. was really good friends with uh, John Rice, directing Halloween, and uh, he immediately put my name in the hat to be her AD. So I quickly became like from layout artist to storyboard, and then AD. You know, all in the, all in the same season, um, and that was like season two. So I stayed with Cindy for the end of season two, season three, and then by season four, I was directing my own shows. What's that jump like to you? Obviously, because I haven't asked this question in quite some time to a few, <clears throat> excuse me, into a few folks. Um, but I, I like I said that those first day questions are always fascinating. But the uh, the other one that I always find fascinating is is what is it like seeing your name in the credits for the first time? I got to imagine you remember. Did you guys have watch parties? I know the Simpsons would do watch parties, you know, in the yeah. earlier seasons. But did you guys do that with King of the Hill? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, like with friends and family and stuff, you know, but like, mm-hmm. you know, I said, I, hey, mom, uh, watch the show. I'm in the credits. You know, yeah. all mom does is watch the credits. She doesn't give a shit. She doesn't, <laughs> watch, doesn't watch any of the shows I, I make. You know, I've been working consistently, you know, <laughs> since uh, since 97. Uh, very, mm-hmm. very grateful. Very, very uh, thankful for, uh, for a really nice, solid career. Um, but seeing my name up there was cool certainly in the, when i was young one of the things that i love about animation is the anonymity we get mm-hmm. to make we make something that millions of people get to see and you know I'm, i didn't do it to be famous you know there's a lot of people who want everyone to know who they are they want to be famous um i prefer the anonymity i like i yeah. love the, uh, the 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 aspect of the magic behind making something come to life for one thing mm-hmm. Um, and then we're the wizards behind the curtain. Uh, yeah, and no one, no one has to know who we are. So, so with that said, I think one of my episodes, uh, I, I changed my name to Aleoy. You know, instead mm-hmm. of uh, Anthony Leoy, uh, I was just like, this show is going to be directed by Aleoy, and you know, I tried to have this whole <laughs> persona, like one word thing, but that came from uh, Aleoy is another uh, name I go by. Uh, people who know me for a long long time still call me Aleoy all from my dairy barn days in Long Island New York I, I worked at dairy barn literally shaped like a red barn with a silo and it was just two driveways cars would just <laughs> pull up and that's where you get your cigarettes and your milk and your potato chips <laughs> and your beer uh, uh so whatever I'm telling this long stupid story just, oh no it's fine I like it <laughs> the schedule you know when when we had to work the, my part-time job in high school mm-hmm. It would just be first initial last name, so uh, that's where I got the name Aleoy because because uh, it's just this un- unique last name, yeah. Aleoy, and and so that became my name. Like there's just people on the street, friends of mine, would go be like, "Hey, Aleoy," you know. So that has stuck with me. So Aleoy got to direct a couple of King of the Hill episodes, <laughs> and well, yeah, well, Aleoy got nominated. I think we were talking. Oh, we were talking uh, Chase and Bobby. We go. Oh, you just mentioned the Emmy, oh. the Emmy, the Emmy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, chasing Bobby. Yeah, season five. Uh, sorry, I'm looking up, looking up oh. my name on IMDb <laughs> <laughs> so I can remember what shows I worked on. Uh, chasing Bobby. Yeah. So, so Aleoy directed Chasing Bobby. My my other. What's name. the difference between Aleoy and Anthony Loya? Do you guys have any? Uh, you have any different uh, opinions? <laughs> Do you guys carry the same? What, well, we fight on? all the time. All the time, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I fucking hate that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing a therapist now because because that guy. Because <laughs> of that dickhead, man. God Bob. damn. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, Chase and Bobby. But I want to tell the story where uh, that episode got nominated for an Emmy. Uh, we didn't win, but uh, I think we Bullshit. got nominated. Because, um, so this is the second season that I was directing, I think, uh, yeah, season five. So I had sculpted my hand, I think, mm-hmm. like this, like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, just w- making an X. So, uh, because like, I think that we were doing episode 10 or something, it was something like that. So, uh, I had one of those like kits with a, uh, that would make a plaster hand, you know, like, yeah. a, like make make an alginate mold and and fill it with plaster, and I put that on a rod. So like I, when I would, again, I'm a late twenties fucking <laughs> piece of shit 
uh, <laughs> I would walk around the studio with this with this scepter because <laughs> mm-hmm. we were doing show 10. So, you know, and yeah. that's how I would I would walk around to the crew with this giant scepter uh, for show for the show, the, the episode. Um, but what I'm getting at is like I laid it down on a, on a coffee table, a conference table, I should say, uh, and had everyone who was working on that episode lay a hand on it. And I had everybody visualize white energy coming out of their bodies through their <laughs> hands into the scepter. And I was like, this will power us to to make the best King of the Hill episode ever. And that episode got nominated. So I, it's all because of the group's power into our scepter. That's what I'm saying. That's so fucking dope. Do you still have that scepter? Do you have that power scepter no, still? I, I, I smashed it. Oh, God damn it. Did you smash it before the Emmys were announced? After. Or was it after? after. Okay. After. Yeah, I was, after I was we about lost. to say, it might have been a bad luck if you did it before. <laughs> but I mean, man, I'm lucky enough. I, I got to go to the Emmys a bunch of times. I mean, I was uh, Cindy Tang's AD on the episode that did win. Uh, that was the episode with Sarah Michelle Geller, who came and, and uh, she was Bobby's girlfriend. Uh, Ah, so, you know, because yes. they kissed on the couch in the alley or something. Um, so yeah, going to the Emmy is like, I don't know what the I'm stupid 20 year old kid. And like, so I go and rent an ill fitting tux that's like way too big, you know, drive my Ford, my filthy Ford Escort to, <laughs> to the to the Emmys. I'm just like, what the wow, I'm at an Emmys and this is, this is a big giant party. Not now, man, when I go to the Emmys, it's just like, whatever. It's, it's yeah, just, it's just the, it's just the fucking Emmys. <laughs> I'll tell you the best. I mean, pre pre pandemic, um, I got to go to the Emmys. Uh, the last time we got to go, uh, was for a Big Mouth episode. I'm producing mm-hmm. uh, Big Mouth these days, and I had the best double header, uh, of the night because uh, went to the Emmys, brought my my now wife, uh, for her first time to the Emmys. We got to see the, the ceremony. This big, huge, elaborate uh, party for mm-hmm. for adults you know beautiful and i was like all right i gotta fucking go and we got changed in the car and headed to an iron maiden concert that was like 10 <laughs> minutes down this road <laughs> so it was the best fucking night of my life because i was like have had a great time at this emmys party and then mm-hmm. just like all right drink 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 head on over to the floor of this <laughs> iron maiden was playing this a huge arena and oh man it's just just to arrive and just like oh fucking maiden <laughs> best night of my life it was all it was so much fun <laughs> oh that's that's so fucking dope i love hearing <laughs> stories like this you know because uh if there's one thing i've noticed about you because you you had dropped the anonymity thing earlier mm. a lot of you guys and gals in animation one don't like talking about yourself because one is a collaborative thing and two people do that People have a very hard time talking about themselves. Some people don't like I have. I've had some people on where you just can't get a word in edgewise. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, which is perfectly fine because I love when I can just sit back and just fucking relax and I'm told stories. So that's not a slight on anybody. I, I always tell everybody you come on here and you get to be as narcissistic as you want. Talk about yourself ad nauseum because i like these stories the fans likes hearing these stories because a lot of this stuff like i said with the shit story you told earlier you never see that on the behind the scenes documentary i've had to have i've had to Uh i've had to hear or not had to hear excuse me i've heard so many shit stories it's something about animation here's this one that i really love (laughs) did you ever get to work with tuck tucker storyboard artist no no i'm not i think i heard one of your podcasts talking about him though yeah so did you hear the (laughs) shit sandwich with tuck tucker (laughs) I don't think so. 
maybe. So uh, I, it was when I had Craig Bartlett, the creator of Hey Arnold, on uh, on my podcast. And uh, whenever somebody that's no longer here that's passed away, I always like bringing them up because it gets to all more like these guys and gals that are no longer here. They'll forever be immortalized with the work they did because King of the Hills never going anywhere. Hey Arnold is never going anywhere. But there's so many fans that might not know the names that are no longer here. And like mm-hmm. I said, I like to bring them up so their memories stay whatever. These videos will never come down. And I want the folks to know these stories. And uh, so he was he was a prankster. Is what everybody tells me. He loved April Fool's Day was like his Super Bowl. And uh, over at Nickelodeon, excuse me, over at Nickelodeon, they had a communal refrigerator and he kept putting a sandwich in there and his sandwich kept getting stolen. Right. So there was one time he put do not touch. And uh, Craig had said he's like, I don't know if uh, his dog's name, he had this uh, hunting dog and his dog's name was, I think he said it's Bruno. Uh, So he said he didn't know if it was a Bruno shit or if it was a human shit. But Tuck went and took two pieces of bread, put it, you know, around this turd, wrapped it up like he usually does, says do not eat Tuck Tuckers or whatever it was. And his sandwich came up missing right after that. Needless to say, after the shit sandwich his sandwich never went missing again. So, like I said, I've heard there's something with animation and turds that uh, just consistently Holy. comes up. And like I said, I never get tired of shit stories. Man, that's a good one. Yeah, I got a couple more, but I have to tell you them off air because I've had to cut a few of them out. Uh, but there was there was one thing because I'd written it down. <clears throat> And I wanted to circle back to because we fans definitely do look at Daria in a a light mm. that is is interesting. It's a fun show. You said you were extremely depressed doing this one because obviously it's during <laughs> that grunge era, right? It's it's that oh, that yeah. it's that dramatic teenage angst. You know, it's Nirvana in animated form, right? So every everything everybody goes through these 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 feelings, these stages of their lives when they're growing up. Not to the extent of some of the you know the scenes in Daria would. But I remember seeing this show because my I have an older sister, you know, so a lot of the the Beavis and Buttheads I got to see because of my sister Daria. I got to see because of my sister because she was watching it. Um, what was obviously the show is depressing, but what was it depressing like for you? Or what was the depression oh, well. from working on the show? <laughs> well, it was another thing that I learned not to do what not to do. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't um, put someone in a box. You don't pigeonhole somebody. Is that the term? You don't you don't. Yeah. You don't put baby in the corner. I was I was a storyboard revisionist on that show. So and that's all I was seen to do, you know, and then mm-hmm. like during times off or hiatus of that show, um, I would go animate commercials or go work on another show. And as I get I came back to Daria and they're like, uh, oh, storyboard revisions is your baby. I was like, no, 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 no. I want to do mm-hmm. other things. And, you know, that so that's why I was just like, well, that and also my job was as a storyboard as a storyboard revisionist, you're meant to just plus things and and uh, yeah. rewrites and take care of, 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 of redos or whatever. Um, my job on that show was redoing this one guy's board and like entirely. <clears throat> so, because he was an old guy, an old timer, uh, like drawing stuff like um, the peanuts. Like he would literally mm-hmm. draw like a circle with their with a, a nub at the top for their nose. You know, mm-hmm. you know how the peanuts laugh? They yeah. like they just you don't see their eyes, it's just a circle with a big giant. And it's like that's off model. That's not this <laughs> show. That's not the show we're making. So, you know, the director would be like, Can you just make this work? And so basically my job was just redoing this person's work. 
And that just pissed me off. That's depressing. Because <laughs> I was just like, what the fuck? He's getting paid and I'm mm-hmm. not getting paid as much as he, but I have to redo like none of that guy's work will ever be seen by anyone else down the pipeline. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, fuck this. <laughs> moving west. <laughs> All right. So we're moving west and on to better things. Uh, you know, let's let's talk uh, Chase and Bobby, because this is the one one of the ones that has not come up uh, yet. And it's it's a fascinating one because so many times throughout this show. So this show pops up for me two or three times throughout my life. You know, this is the first adult animated show that I get hooked on. I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons because my mom just did not like Bart Simpson. Like most mm-hmm. most parents, you know, moms just did not like Bart Simpson. The other one was a Rugrats. She did not like Angelica Pickles. So, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, The Simpsons is one that uh, I never really got to watch, but King of the Hill was. Um, there was just something that hooked me right away. The characters, I think... I've always said that I think it's because the reason I love the show so much, because not only the story, the art was phenomenal, the soul that you guys injected into these characters and made them feel like they could be real. I think that was what was drawn, drew me in so much, no pun intended, was just the fact that if this was real light, like these characters could be real in some universe, these guys could be in, you know, it could be the live action version. Um, but chasing Bobby, you know, uh, it's one of those shows that when I saw this as a kid, it hit me, but it didn't hit me until I was deployed. When I got a little bit older, like I said, this 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 one hit me two different ways at two different times in my life. Didn't have a dad growing up, right? And I and then I always wanted one. And then you know, seeing Hank and the way Bobby was, I could tell there was some strife, right? You know, he didn't understand his son. His son didn't understand him. They were trying to commingle. They felt more like. Uh, like roommates at times, you know, like some people do than they did father and son. And I can see that. I can see that a lot as my son gets older, he's hitting, starting to hit that teenage years. So he doesn't want dad around type of thing. He wants to do his own way. He thinks he knows more, you know, that's not so much Bobby and Hank's relationship, but I can draw the correlations from that. Yeah, Your son keeps embarrassing you. Is that it? (laughs) No, I mean, (laughs) sometimes, yeah, sometimes he does. No, but it's just like, you know, we're from two different worlds, essentially. And I see that with Hank and Bobby too, right? Now, I see this one, uh, you know, I watched the entire series again during COVID. But before before COVID, when I was deployed, I saw this when I was deployed. Fuck me, man. Before COVID, when I was on deployment, I took this this set with me. I had all of the, I had all the episodes of King of the Hill. And I see this episode while I'm on my last deployment. And I'm thinking... As a dad, I'm watching this for the first time since I watched this as a teenager. Hit me completely differently, man. You know, seeing the love that Hank has that he's trying to instill in Bobby, but he has it for his truck because it's easier for him for an inanimate object because of where he came from and how he got raised. You know, you see his dad, Cotton, you know, he's a World War II vet. So you guys had these real life experiences in these fictitious characters where you could be like, well, that generation didn't really tell their kids they loved them, especially the male figures. And then you've got the next generation that's the Vietnam kids that still really didn't tell their kids they loved them. And then you get bleed into the 80s, the Cold War, Desert Storm and shit like that, where you're starting to see some things come around. Like you see Family Matters, you see fucking Home Improvement, where you can see the dads really being more of a loving character. And then you get to King of the Hill. Right. Where it's kind of like a step back. But like I said, it's it's in that era. It's in that generation of those those fathers that are evolving to, you know, eventually tell their kids they love them. But like (laughs) I said, I see this as an adult and I'm like, holy fuck, this show in particular, this episode in particular, in my opinion, does not get brought up enough. 
You know, it doesn't get brought up enough as top 10 episodes. It does not get brought up enough as one of those. I mean, you guys were nominated for a fucking Emmy on this one. I shouldn't have to say it's a top 10, top five, but I feel like I have to. Uh, you know, this one does not get brought up enough, man. So I would love to know from nuts to bolts, start to finish, man. How does this one come to you? Is it just one of those those scripts that's passed out when you guys get the episode breakdown? Where are you at when Chasing Bobby falls into your lap, man? Damn. All right. There's some heavy heavy (laughs) theology here. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like everything you said there, man, I could relate to as far as like the, you know, the the dad who can't communicate, you know. So, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I connect like you to to that moment in that story, you know, the uh, Mm -hmm. um, and the inability. I mean, what I love now, 21st century, I love seeing how uh, boys, new fathers, they are actually connecting with their children. Full circle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it, where I was in my life, man, it, it was easy to pull from, <laughs> uh, you know, all that stuff. It's so funny. It's like, like, I only saw that episode again recently. I haven't seen mm-hmm. it since we made it in, but Jesus. I, I guess we did that 98, 99 or something back then. But, um, uh, I mean, I get stuck on the little nuances of the acting of the characters, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like I remember. In that episode, there's the the car salesman because he has to buy a new truck after he gets hit by the train. Now, you just said this beautiful thing about relationships and stuff, and I'm gonna whittle it down to like, I really, I'm really proud of the when the salesman gets up on his toes because he's he's <laughs> he's rocking his feet. <laughs> no, but but that's breathing the life into the scene. Absolutely. The character was just standing there, and I was like, "He needs mm-hmm. to do something here." So I was like, "Oh, he's trying to. He's a car used car salesman. Give him this fucking this rocking business here, you know." And um, yeah. So, <laughs> so well, how do you dictate a shot though? Like, like when you're when you uh, obviously as a storyboard artist, it's going to be different than you know an AD and a director. How are what are you looking for as far as shots go? When you guys get the script and you guys know what the story is going to be, is there specific scenes that you're pulling from? Maybe like inspiration from a movie, a TV show. Like certainly. I would love a downward shot of this. Or how does how does that oh, process work for you? Oh, cer- certainly, man. Yeah, like uh, I I do reference movies a lot, and I'm you know I'm 50 now. And I'm and I'm mentioning to the twenty year olds that I'm working with now, and I'm like, yeah, like in the nineteen seventy nine, the Muppet movie when they did this shot, oh, and, and you know, I'm talking movie. to these kids who are like, I've never What's seen what's a that Muppet, movie. yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm like what? You gotta know your assholes, man. <laughs> you gotta know it. Uh, but like for example, like like uh, uh, somebody pitched um, a sequence to me. So, so I mean, your question is a deep question. How do you storyboard? How do you tell a story? How do you use the camera to enhance mm-hmm. emotion and and or comedy? Not a lot of people know how to stage for comedy either, you know. So I point to, um, comedy. I, even Ant Man. I, I referenced uh, the first Ant Man recently because it's timing. It's like faster is funnier unless it's really, 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 really slow. Mm-hmm. You know, if, um, like uh, in Ant. Uh, I think it was Ant Man, two, when he, he yes, because uh, Paul Rudd, you know, he's at home arrest. Did you do you do you watch yes. the movies? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, he's sliding down the the cardboard mm-hmm. slide and he busts through with his daughter, but his his leg busts through the fence. Um, but the the his friend who who is poking his head out the window is saying like, I'm really nervous about this this account or this uh, security thing. Um, he's like, don't worry, buddy. You got it. You got it. You got it. He's like, 
you're the man. And uh, I forget the actor's name, but like, but, but the timing of the shot, where he's like, I'm the man, I'm the man. And he backs <laughs> away into the room really slow. See, you laugh. Like, it's, yeah. like it's, it's inherently funny. Um, there was a storyboard artist on King of the Hill named uh, uh, Areste Canestrelli. He's an old, old friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Literally grew up in the circus. Mm-hmm. So wow. I, yeah, like, like he was an acrobat. His whole family were uh, clowns and acrobats. And um, I learned as at 20 years old, when I met him, I learned comedy. He hates when I say this, but uh, I learned a lot about comedy from him uh, because we talked about vaudeville. We talked about old school stuff. And mm-hmm. when you fall, you have to get the feet up into the frame. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> you know, you send the shoe going like, mm-hmm. like, like there are, there are, there are basics for comedy, like things that rise up into frame, mm-hmm. make people laugh. Um, anyway, there's, you could, you could point to all kinds of uh, examples and references. So, so, and, and how do you stage stuff? Like somebody pitched a sequence to me where a father was locked out of, of his daughter's apartment and she was on second floor, third floor, looking out the window and the thumbnails that were pitched to me were just horizon straight ac- across the, and the camera's like looking right at him, uh, cut mm-hmm. to her. She's in the window and, and right there. And I was like, what? Like, this seems a no brainer, but like, why aren't we looking up at her? Mm-hmm. Where's the shot from inside her window, looking down at dad on the street going, let me in. You're like, like why do i gotta why do i gotta pull this out of you (laughs) yeah um so that's the basics the basics of stuff but then like i have this whole philosophy which i learned in the trenches of king of the hill where i cut my teeth Mm -hmm. um things were like uh um direction of attention is, is some of the stuff that i bring up to my crews now where uh that'll help with screen direction um in animation you have to work with the limitations of the art form uh, versus live action. In live action, you could have somebody's fuzzy shoulder way in the foreground, and the audience is going to know what that is because they could mm-hmm. they could they know what uh, the tactile feeling of of their shirt or uh, uh, or whatever sweater they're wearing is. Certainly, if it's uh, if it's fuzzy, you know, the mm-hmm. audience could could just see a sh- like a sliver of that and understand what that is in animation. You can't get away with just like a sliver of a sleeve because it's just this flat color, you know, unless mm-hmm. you really go in there and, and do all these uh, gradients over or whatever. But what I'm getting at is you have to understand the limitations of the medium and the clarity you want to get to the audience, right? So it's all about the silhouette, right? You know, yeah. in all the animation books, everyone's going to talk about the silhouette. So all I'm getting at is like, if you're talking to somebody over here, and and you know like here i'm talking to this pillow and uh, another person <laughs> walks in you're not you shouldn't have and i i get this all the time you you shouldn't have another the other person walk in behind the pillow so if i'm talking to hey pillow you piece of shit <laughs> and oh hey your friend over here is another piece of shit so uh that's not a clear silhouette change but if the if the second piece of shit comes in on the other side and you're like hey i don't like you and then changing my silhouette to to address this person coming in on this side mm-hmm. way stronger and, yeah. and it'll read in in animation it'll by changing the silhouette so i often have that written on giant signs and i put that over uh, some storyboard artists 
areas and i'm like change the silhouette and i put with musical notes around it it's like these are the things you have to remember mm-hmm. <laughs> so i'm drilling that drill 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 into people's heads <laughs> so you had uh you had brought up a uh, uh, the a scene from the muppets whether it was anecdotally or uh something that you that you wanted to get done is there any movie that you've obviously you said i think it was empire strikes back was such a huge part mm-hmm. or such a huge moment of your life that really made you do what you want to do is there any movie out there that you would love to take inspiration from and put into a show that you have not done yet and is that oh. answer back to the future no. because that's one of my favorite <laughs> movies <laughs> I, i've referenced back to the future many times i mean yeah. i've referenced all my favorite movies i there's nothing that i haven't pointed to i mean rock and rule was uh mm-hmm. nelvana's first feature that um i saw that on hbo every day i would watch that i had on i recorded it off of hbo and i watched it every day rock and rule um heavy metal back in the day you know akira of course um but uh as far as all the movies that i reference i reference conan the barbarian a lot yeah we're talking about effects uh like i often go to the uh uh, do you really want to live forever shot (laughs) you know like when he gets rescued and he like it was the what who saved me and and it's like his dead valkyrie wife standing there do you want to live forever and he <laughs> he looks away looks back she's gone um <laughs> uh animal olympics there was a did ever hear of animal olympics i don't think so they write tried this one to, down. animal olympics is uh mid 80s or so i mean like gilda radner john candy uh billy crystal it's got a cast huge cast they i forget the story behind why it failed you know like it was meant to be a feature but Mm -hmm. um and then something happened i don't know the story the history of it but like it did it ended up not being successful in the theaters if it even made in theaters but and regardless Mm -hmm. i saw it on hbo and and it, it broke up into it was broken up into five parts or something and it was like spread out over tv maybe that's it's fate maybe 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 that's what it was they it was destined they wanted it to be a feature and it just ended up being uh, on tv whatever little little anthony saw it on hbo and <laughs> fucking loved it uh i have cell setups in my office yeah not, not here not here um uh from that movie but but that's something i reference a lot animal olympics beautiful feature quality animation uh but there's these 70s effects and the surrealism i often we on on big mouth we do a lot of musical numbers and mm-hmm. so i i pull up lots of different sequences from animal olympics to point out like look what they did here uh you know neon colors against black or whatever effects or i'll pull up uh, a scene from rock and roll and 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 just like Get build inspired. off of something be inspired yeah and build off yeah. and build from there exactly that's, uh that's... Dr- dragon slayer <laughs> oh another <laughs> yeah. great one uh, you know, the, I forget the dragon's name, but like with the go motion aspect of it, like mm-hmm. that blow, that blew my mind. I, I guess that's more of an inspiration of like what, why we do, what we do. I mean, I made my parents buy a camera, a VHS camera that could have the capability of uh, shooting uh, time lapse, or, <laughs> uh, um, but basically, I would make my toys, my GI Joes, like get up and murder each other, <laughs> and I would. <laughs> You know, to put creeping de- Metallica's "Creeping Death" behind it, and, and oh, uh, what a what a fucking song! Uh, I was yeah. I was always a big fan of one. Uh, I mean, I know it's it's yeah. 
Grammy it's uh, nominated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's everybody's favorite one, but that that music video for one sits here and not in a good way. It's one of those things that sits <laughs> rent free in my head, yeah. but in the most terrifying way possible. Um, well, you know, the not... war, the war yes. angle. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just like I'm I'm such a fucking fan, and I told I told who did I fucking tell this to? <laughs> Shit. I can't remember who I told it to. It was one of you, uh, one of one of the King of the Hill alums. Was it Paul? No, it wasn't Paul. Okay. I want to say it was probably Bill, Bill Ryling. Okay. Um, that you know, my love and fascination for World War II started because of Cotton Hill. You know, uh, a lot of that. You know, I, I had my great uncle. He was in. I think he was in Korea. I know for sure he was in Vietnam. Um, so I don't know if he did. I don't think he did World War II because he was old, but he wasn't that old. Um, but my fascination for World War II really started with Cotton Hill. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, fucking voice is screwing up this week. Um, but it was, God damn it, <clears throat> getting all choked up here, man. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, my, my fascination <laughs> for World War II really started with Cotton Hill. And then it was, uh, you know, school, you'd hear it in, you know, history class. And uh, Jesus Christ, <clears throat> I don't know what's going on, man. You want some water? Probably dying. Probably dying here. I'm not. I'm not crying at all. <laughs> Might be dying, but I uh, know my uh, fascination with World War II really started there, and then it kind of just progressed as I got older. You know, it, it went from cotton to reading some books, and then fucking joining the Navy, seeing Men of Honor. I wanted to be in the Navy because of Steven Seagal and Under Siege, and I wanted <laughs> to be in, in in fucking the Navy because of Cuba Gooding Jr. and Robert De Niro and Men of Honor, that that Navy diver movie. Um, yeah. You know, Cuba Gooding Jr. plays the first black Master Chief Navy diver um, uh, in history. So it was just a fascinating time. And then getting to see just that that progression of stuff. So, you know, you guys instilled this this love of animation from this. I learned so much from King of the Hill. And then, like I said, that that love for that, uh, like I've just been on a on a fucking tear for every documentary for World War II. Uh, I'm reading a Winston Churchill book now. All of that, you know, if you guys didn't spawn anything else, man, you spawned a fucking fascination of World War II. And getting back to that whole one thing with Metallica, that thing lives rent fucking free in my head. It terrifies the shit out of me because I never went to war. I was on a ship. I didn't see any wartime. I went to the desert. I went to some very shysty places, you know, some very weird places. Um, but for the most part, you know, I was pretty safe and pretty, pretty, you know, everything was pretty relaxed and calm. Um, but it's just like that, that implement or not the implementation, just watching that just kind of like warped my perception on like what reality was, but also what war was. And then you hear the stories, even though they're fictitious from cotton, you get to paint this picture and then you start reading this shit. You're like, fuck, dude, you guys were putting in some real stories from this bastard cotton Hill into yeah. the show that was, you know, that that played out in some of the history books that I've read. So, you know, like I said, well done, both Metallica and King of the Hill <laughs> with fucking war talk. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Throwing up the devil horns, man. I love it. Uh, so, you know, we've, uh, we've, we've, we haven't talked too much about Chase and Bobby yet. Cause I kind of derailed us there with not only my Metallica talk and, and world war two talk, but kind of how you, how you, you know, delineate between shot to shot and what you're looking for as far as script goes, but getting back to, to chase and Bobby, man, uh, obviously the script is, it hits so many different levels, you know, whether it's emotional, mental, physical, um, you know, Hank obviously loses his truck, this truck that he's been 
going since I think what before Bobby, you know, yep. so it's his it's his first love essentially that wasn't Peggy, that wasn't Bobby, that wasn't Ladybird. Um, so what was it like, man? How many times do you get some shitty fan mail about killing Hank's truck? You killed Hank's <laughs> first baby, dude. How, how does that oh, come about? I've moved so many times, no one no one could find me. <laughs> Nobody's gonna get you. <laughs> yeah, keep dodging, <laughs> dodging the hate. <laughs> No, no, I, what, I remember what was, what was working on this one, Mike. Though I remember going to uh, me and my AD went to the, the Ford dealership to look at trucks, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, so we could uh, get the feel. Of, I mean, drawing vehicles, man, suck. You know, it's <laughs> it's hard. Um, but Robin Brickstock was my AD at the time, and and he was he could he was solid. He he drew all the train hitting the car stuff. Yeah, uh, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, we were. We were we were at a Ford dealership taking pictures, and around that time was like one of those uh, uh, TV shows where like you know the, the hidden camera sh- catching mm-hmm. you know how to catch a, a shady motherfucker. You know? Yeah. So like they were they were like, "What are you doing taking pictures?" They chased us out. <laughs> we're like, "We're just taking pictures of trucks research." <laughs> what a time before the internet, you know? <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> um. But yeah, man, it's just, uh, uh, then I remember, I think, oh no, no, I was going to say Dave Filoni drew the poster, but no, he drew a poster for something else. Um, hmm. Yeah, there was, never mind, never mind. Yeah, oh, no worries. Did anyone bring up Dave Filoni? Uh, uh, I I want to say, I want to say yes, um, possibly. I know I've heard the name before. I'm pretty sure we've talked about it. And the guy that I was referencing that I could not remember earlier was Alan Jacobson. It wasn't uh, oh, it wasn't Bill as far as World War II. Yeah, we talked. Alan yeah. and I talked. Alan World Jacobson, War II. yes, the the yeah. the shit uh, plopper. <laughs> what, should we, what should we call him? <laughs> no. uh, um, uh, but practical jokes. I wanted to tell you a story. Uh, I used to hide underneath Paul Scarlatta's desk. Yeah. So yeah, uh, uh, he would disappear. That guy, he would, he would, you could never find him at his desk. <laughs> no, uh, but he he disappeared for a while, and so I hid underneath his desk. Uh, and I, I remember he came back to work, and, and uh, I waited like ten minutes, mm-hmm. and then and then shook his desk from underneath like crazy, and he got up so fast, earthquake, earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, man, I used to tie his shoelaces to his desk. <laughs> oh, what a dick! <laughs> yeah, I was a fucking punk twenty mid twenties doing this, this stupid shit. Like more shit I can't do now that I'm fifty and in charge of I mean, people. You can't you can shit. you just gotta be you just gotta be uh, <laughs> a little bit more incognito if you know what I mean. Uh, you know my my first command. Uh, you know. I'm deployed. I'm like 1920, maybe, uh, you know, so this is the first time I've been away from the country for an extended period of time. The first time I've been away from my wife, you know, we had just had our first kid, um, you know, so I was very, I felt like I was on an island. I was very alone. Like I said, whenever I deployed, I would take the show with me. Um, I would take a, I would take this ladies and gentlemen, you probably, a lot of the listeners probably don't know this, but I had a binder like this thick just full of DVDs and movies and shit like that. And I had two of those with me, right? For all the TV shows, all the movies. And like I said, I always brought King of the Hill with me. Um, and I can't remember how I got the 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 idea to do it. 
I don't think it was King of the Hill because I don't think you guys ever used Velcro. But since we're talking about playing practical jokes on people, <laughs> I had had at the end of the year, I was a supply guy. So at the end of the fiscal year, you have to essentially run out whatever money you have to zero. Because if you don't, the next fiscal year, when they cut new checks to your squadron, your division, your command, they cut it for less because you had money left over. So obviously, if you didn't spend the last 32000 the next check you get is $32,000 less. So Nobody wanted to make sure that happened. We always wanted the most money we could possibly get. Mm -hmm. Taxes, right? Taxes, taxes, taxes. Fucking sucks. We had to pay for this shit. But, you know, it is what it is. You know, it's common practice. So we, like I said, we'd run the books to zero. So at the end of the year, you have these lists of people that, uh, you know, you get your needs first. And then at the end of the year, you get your wants. So it was like, oh, we need new boots. We need new this. We need new that. So on want lists or need lists and shit like that, when we get to the wants, there was just a whole bunch of shit. And I was like, well, I'm going to buy a pallet full of fucking Velcro because that'll blow $3,000 off of this budget. (laughs) So I I bought a pallet, not a pallet, but I bought quite a bit of fucking Velcro, $3,000 worth of Velcro. Mm -hmm. So we get this Velcro and then I had completely forgot about it because we ordered it. It came a couple months later, not thinking about it. I'm like, who the fuck ordered all this Velcro? Like, oh my God, it's here. And I was like, oh, uh, these command or these, these divisions over here need it. Reactor needs it. Uh, Fucking engineering needs it. So I'm gonna run it to them. They didn't need it. I wanted it because I wanted to fuck with people. (laughs) So I had literally waited until everybody went to sleep. It's like 11, 12 o'clock at night. Everybody's asleep. So I go down to the supply pit. So I've got all of this Velcro. I'm Velcroing people's mouse to the desk. I'm Velcroing coffee cups. I'm Velcroing chairs. I'm Velcroing keyboards, paper cutters, just anything and everything that was not bolted to the ground. I Velcroed the fuck out of right and then we had these jackets this is right after we switched to blue camouflage jackets so we had this like rainex gore-tex whatever it was called this this jacket that you could put a liner in because i was stationed in washington state cold as fuck it was raining all the time so this is this waterproof jacket so i did this because everybody left their jackets on the back of their chairs like most civilized people do you leave your jacket there so when it gets chilly you can put it on so I did this to every le- – I don't know why I picked the left one, but I did it to everybody's left sleeve on their jackets. I Velcroed the you know, the opening where your hand goes. I Velcroed <laughs> it shut. So <laughs> we're getting called to go somebody someplace, and everybody's like, all right, bring your jackets because it's going to be cold on the weather decks. So everybody's like pulling their jackets on and then not putting it like on on until they get up to the top because it's still pretty warm on the inside of the ship. It's just going to be a little chilly on the outside, you know, the wind spraying and all that shit. So these guys are fucking putting their jackets on and they're all trying to like punch their fucking hand (laughs) out. And they're like, what the fuck is going on? And they hadn't, they hadn't moved around in the office yet. So they hadn't seen all the other Velcro. So me being the most junior guy at that time, obviously that was my first mistake. I pissed everybody off without realizing it. Right. It's a, it's a fun story. Everybody got that. It was a joke and I was fucking around. I only got yelled at for, you know, half hour. 45 minutes, whatever it was, but uh, they can't get their fucking arm out. Everybody's getting pissed off. And then they see that it's Velcro. They're like, who the fuck? I'm like, I don't know, man. I fucking had all this Velcro. It went missing. I don't know what happened. And they're like, oh, this is fucking, you know, they, they thought somebody's messing with them. So we get back down to the supply pit. Guy goes to bring up his coffee mug. Coffee mug is Velcro to the thing. Guy goes to pull up the stapler. <laughs> Guy goes to pull up the phone. The fucking phone's Velcroed. I had to take every piece of fucking Velcro off of it. Took me hours and hours <laughs> to take all of it. It was that worth sounds it. worth it, though. <laughs> it was worth it. So was just it like a minor self-adhesive? inconvenience? Yes, it was like stick. It was 
military strength, <laughs> right? <It's> yeah. Like... <laughs> it was like those Man. command strips, but I got duct tape right here. So it was like the equivalent of like duct tape. Mm. It's a weird thing to have. Say, I got duct tape right here. Look at this. Um... <laughs> oh, and rope and handcuffs, yeah. I see. Yeah. Yeah, don't worry about that. <laughs> that comes later. That's the after hours <laughs> podcast. No, but uh, yeah, so I Velcroed everything. And then what sucked is um, when you take it off, if it sits, if it seals pretty well, it leaves like this adhesive sticky shit oh, sure. after. Yeah. So I had to take Goo Gone or Gooby Gone, oh, whatever it's called, and yeah, fucking yeah. scrape up everything. And the worst part was is they had just redid our floors and I had Velcroed everybody's wheelie chairs, only one wheel, but everybody's wheelie chairs. So you couldn't get, you know, I was, <laughs> I tried to use the excuse you have to stow for sea. So whenever you deploy, you have to put like bands down. So because you hit waters that are really rough and shit falls yes, over. Stuff's going to so move, was, right? Yeah. yeah, so I was trying to say, look, I'm stowing for C. They're like, no, asshole. Get on your hands and knees. Get this Gooby gone and get all of this shit. I fuck. It's oh, it sucked. It was worth it, but it sucked, man. Going back to Chase and Bobby. It's funny. It's funny. I think it's funny. <laughs> I but, applaud uh, that. Thank you, man. I, I was very proud until I got yelled at and had to clean it all up, and I felt like an asshole. Um, but uh, you know, getting back to Chase and Bobby before we jump into a, a, another episode, man. Uh, when you go back, because you said you had just rewatched this. What are some of the scenes? What are some of the moments? Maybe some of the scenes, like a um, that you saw the, the 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 used car salesman going up and rocking on his toes. Was there mm. anything that stuck out to be like, holy shit, that was perfect? Or do you see a lot of the faults? <laughs> like like a lot of creators oh, do, yeah. they'll see the faults in something when we see perfection. I, I only see faults. Yeah, and, yeah, and stuff like, oh yeah, man, why didn't I cut in tighter there? There's there's the punchline. Why are we so fucking wide here? Or, or you know. Get, I see stuff now with, uh, you know, this is 25 years later uh, that like I would I would do differently. But on the flip side, there's a lot of stuff that I see that I do now. In my first few episodes that I directed, um, I'm like, oh, shit, I'm still doing that in a great yeah. in a good way. You know, like because, like, you know, I work with directors uh, where it's like they don't understand how to expand off the page you know, like like mm-hmm. uh, you, you get the script and there's a bit of description in the beginning so they linearly well this is this word before that word i will so i will show in in the audience through the storyboards uh the linear fa- in a linear fashion what this is and i'm like no 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 mm-hmm. no like that's just script description describing what should unfold unfold in this in the scene like it's up to you how to to creatively tell that interpret it yeah interpret it does not need to be linear mm-hmm. uh, that way so um anyway i st- uh, uh what i'm grateful for is like oh shit uh, i was about to say i'm just as good then as i am now. <laughs> <laughs> no, i don't mean it that way but I'm, I'm just like i'm proud of the fact that like oh shit stuff that i teach young storyboard artists now is stuff that i was doing then that not a lot of directors that I've worked with since uh, know how to do. I just inherently, I've been making films since I was 10 years old. So like, mm-hmm. that's where I was um, and, and, and watching and mirroring the greats, you know? So um, it comes down to moving the camera is what I'm getting at. Like, like just really simply like cutting to somebody like going, Oh man. And in, I think it was that episode where like Hank Hill was standing uh and he like bent down to into frame uh mm-hmm. to to address somebody and you know other directors or other teams would just shoot that wide and, and just 
get that information. But because it was such an intimate thing, it just felt so much better to like start Hank Hill's head out of frame, you know, yeah. and then bending down and 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 getting on one knee to to fit into the frame. Uh, creates such a different emotional mm-hmm. connection, you know. Um, but you give that to a shitty team and you'll just get this one wide shot. Man, like I get stuff all the time where it's just like everything just takes place in one shot, you know, one wide shot and all this stuff mm-hmm. happens. I'm like, this isn't a play. Like, <laughs> I don't need to sit in seat and watch shit happen over there. Like, yeah, use the camera and like get in there and 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 understand why you cut in close or, or why mm-hmm. you're here. Like uh, chasing Bobby. Um, I was really, really proud seeing it again recently. I was really proud of like Bobby, like seeing the train coming, and then like w- like we had really dramatic camera moves to like, oh shit, the train, Dad's over there, danger, and like yeah, uh, I'm, I was happy with what I saw. I was like, oh yeah, shit, I haven't seen that in twenty years, and and uh, I was still proud of it. <laughs> Is there anything in particular that you would want to change? Now, I've I've always I've I've always enjoyed this style of question. Because <clears throat> as we get older, obviously we see things differently. You know, like right. I told you just a minute ago when we were talking Avatar, I'm appreciative that I saw it as an adult vice a kid. You know, I would have been almost an adult, but when you're 17, you're fucking stupid. I don't give yes. a shit what anybody says. You know, I'm you still are. dumb. But yes. like I didn't really start coming into my own until I was like 24, 25, where I pulled my head out of my ass. You know what I mean? So Look, you know, you'd said it earlier, you you know, you're 50 now, but you're 25 back then. Looking at it as where you're at in your life currently right now, is there anything in particular from that episode that you would like to, you know, have that ultimate eraser and change? And if there is, what would you change and why? Oh, shit, man. That's a tough question. I mean, looking at that. Yeah. Looking at that specific episode. um, No, man, I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't yeah. change a thing. I mean, like, that's good. You know, I'll talk broadly too about like my experience on King of the Hill. It's like that's where I learned mm-hmm. everything. You know, like go because like at the time, you know, we would we would do our production at Film Roman. That's in 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 the Valley, and uh, we would go meet Greg Daniels and his team uh, at on the Fox lot. Um, right, look out the window. There's the Nakatomi Plaza, like <laughs> right there. You know, <laughs> that's where they shot that, and. Uh, yeah. uh, and I learned so much from being in the room with Greg Daniels, like, cause uh, seeing him problem solve and, and like come to a, find an answer and in a nonlinear way, like that's, that connected, made a lot of connections in my brain. Mm-hmm. It was like, Oh, you know, a, you don't have to know all the answers right away. You could discover things during the mm-hmm. process and, and I, and, it's a collaborative process for sure. Uh, and a good idea could come from anywhere. These are all things that I'm, <laughs> I repeat to my directors and storyboard artists now. Um, but what I'm getting at is like that freed my mind, seeing how Greg Daniels could just pivot and be like, Oh, well, what if we did this instead and come at it from a different angle? And it's like, Oh, that's cleaner. That's more efficient and funnier if we did that. and that that opened my mind to like oh we're not s- stuck in like i had a storyboard artist we used to draw on po- i still draw on post-its you know so packs of post-its yeah. and uh we would just do sharpie john rice uh who one of my mentors the director of halloween my first uh, uh 
show that I storyboarded on, I consider John Rice one of my mentors. Uh, he taught me, which I now tell, tell people, use the fattest Sharpie you can uh, uh, when you're drawing the thumbnails because I have seen people get hung up on detail, you know, mm-hmm. like, like, like zippers and like little tiny things. I'm like, you're just trying to convey a shot here. And this is just blocking it out. Don't get stuck on details. Use the fattest Sharpie you can so you don't get stuck on details. What I'm getting at is like the storyboard artist, I was like, hey, how's, how's your section going? What's it going? How's your, because back then we, the show was divided in three acts. You know, you get act one, you get act two, you get act three. Now it's all digital, non-linear. We handle things differently now. But so this one board artist, hey, how's your, how's your act coming? Oh, because we're getting ready to pitch boards, you know, pitch the sequence. And he was like, oh, it's great. I got through a whole packet, a whole pack of post-its. And I was like, <laughs> okay, that's cool. I've gone through three. <laughs> you know? Suck it, nerd. <laughs> well, the lesson there is too many people are precious. Like they would draw mm-hmm. their one idea and be and then and stick it on the wall and be like, that's the thing. I drew it. And that's the way it's got to be. <laughs> there you go, post-its. <laughs> but I'm like, no, no, like, like you draw it, stick it. Draw just draw a bunch of shots, see if you can connect them. Mm-hmm. But if if it if your screen directions <clears throat> screwy and you want to make you go back to the beginning and you redraw that. And, and when you're working with just circles and squares, I mean that's when you you could do that at that early early yeah. stage. My point is, you you kill your babies. You don't get stuck on. Well, <laughs> this is how I describe it to some people. I, I took a shit on this on this plate and I and I can't change it and I'm like take another shit. <laughs> I guess we use a lot of shit metaphors in this in, in this episode. <laughs> oh, that's perfectly fine, man. What was your go-to color for your post-it note? Yellow. Yellow. Yeah, yeah. A, I still uh, buy them by bulk. Yeah, me too. I I got the little guys because these are oh shit. I guess I'm I'm more of a, a I like the pink colors because it's just it's easier it's more vibrant and uh you know it's. Mm-hmm. Anytime I'm reading a book, it takes me like fucking three times longer to read a book now than it ever did back in the day. Because anytime I see a name, I'm sticking a fucking post-it note uh-huh. to come back. I'm going to look that name up. Like my, if you look at, um, so I'm doing, I've fucking hit a stalemate on it because UPA is one of my favorite animation studios of all time, right? Mm. I love the style. I love the story behind it. I love the color choices that they use for the color palettes. So the first, two chapters it was like when magoo flew it was the uh definitive upa book um like the first two chapters i've got over 75 fucking post-it notes in there and it's maybe 20 pages right so but it's just boom 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 and i'm like <laughs> it, it it sucks because it's like i've i've i've, I've had a hard time um because i'm so far behind i'm 30 i'll be 34 in august i'm so far behind as far as like animation knowledge that i'm trying to play fucking catch up it's like you're trying to cram the day before a test we've all been there right so we're all trying to learn we're trying to pack you know pack five pounds of shit into a two pound bag another shit metaphor um <laughs> you know so it it's just one of those things where it's just like i've started taking the post-it notes off <laughs> and just like uh, i'll come back to this when i get because i want to read the fucking book i want to enjoy the book i don't want to make it seem like work always, man always um, doing research always fucking doing research trying to stay ahead man um now with you going back and saying that you wouldn't change a thing is there mm-hmm. one scene i know you said you know there's you know it might not be a heartfelt scene or anything like that it might be that one little nuance but is there one scene in there 
I think I, I don't I think we might have skipped over this one or we might have touched about it a little bit. But is there one scene in there or one moment in there that you are more proud of than any other moment in that episode? No, I'll, I'll say I think it was a naked ambition episode, though, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, I worked with Paul Scarlatta on the, the water skiing sequence. Mm-hmm. And um, that that was something to be very proud of like because we studied Miyazaki the way uh the water Ghibli effects plays with the water yeah um and then Paul nailed her the double bounce of her of Luan's mm-hmm. boobs <laughs> yeah he said that he, yeah that was one thing <laughs> he right, kept right. a reference you know yeah, yeah, uh, we shouldn't yeah yeah <laughs> we shouldn't dwell on that but it, it was well animated um, oh boy oh boy was it especially <laughs> me being a 12 13 year old boy it was very well animated uh-huh. oh well, well there's something there where like um uh, uh philosophically like like so luann is um drying off in the shower in the in, mm-hmm. by the lake right and the curtain opens and bobby's staring at her mm-hmm. so i had her i forget who who was working on this at the time but like basically i had the towel fall off her head and that draw drew the eye down uh to make bobby like scan so I had yeah. Bobby scan down with the motion of the towel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to like philosophically always have something moving in the frame or motivate something in the frame. Um, give the character something to do. Because uh, like I, I got really tired of watching cartoons where everyone just stands around. Yeah. Uh, and just like blink, blink, blink and just their mouth moving. Like that's one thing that I love about King of the Hill too. Was, and, and any show that I, I've been doing since it's like that's this is what makes them come alive like you give them mm-hmm. an action you give them so like like if i'm working on something but also having a conversation with somebody and then like the idea of like wait a minute hold on a second are you kidding me and then stop what they're doing and turn and be like are you... nothing is static yeah 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 and it, it just makes it more alive it makes it more mm-hmm. feel more real and 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 something that audiences could relate to you know um yeah I don't know. I'm talking just philosophy on staging. Another thing too that I'm sorry I'm going off on all these tangents, but no, man, I love it. The, uh, another thing about staging that I prefer, like there are shows like BoJack and um, mm-hmm. uh, some of these flat shows where like everybody is looking at something over there, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 like wow, something really interesting is over there, or or I'm I'm mad at something, or or amazed at something over there. Versus what I prefer is bringing the the vanishing point here and have mm-hmm. the character react to something just off screen in this direction. I feel like that um, subconsciously brings the grabs the audience and brings them into the frame themselves. Like so, the audience themselves get more engaged. The, it's like a first person type of thing because if you're looking into the screen, they're looking not not at not you. Wes Anderson first person or or like like dead on it'll just be like yeah. a little bit that way or a little bit that Off way I, I, yeah i tell board artists or or animators like uh stare stare at my ear you mm-hmm. know have the character stare at my ear not never directly into camera unless we're specifically doing something <laughs> that <laughs> requires that uh all i'm all i'm saying is like i feel like philosophically this engages the audience mm-hmm. more like this versus looking over there you know yeah makes you become it makes you a piece of their world by being observer in their world or observing yes. what they're observing 
Yeah. Makes so, sense. So I started, I definitely started that doing that on King of the Hill in the early days. And um, like in the early, early days of King of the Hill, everything was, was meant to be slow. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's slow in Texas and, and uh, moving slow, take care of things slow. But then Mike Judge even read uh, the lines slow. We started 10%ing the lines, started speeding yeah. up the reads. Just, you know, we, we only got uh, 22 minutes to tell the story, so we got to uh, mm-hmm. speed this up. What I'm getting at is uh, Family Guy started airing around that time. Uh, or, or like by season four or five, I think mm-hmm. Family Guy was on the air. And I made me laugh so much. I said earlier, faster is funnier. Uh, and so I started timing my shows faster, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and snappier and, and stuff. And I, and I think that started, I started getting attention because my shows looked a little bit more finessed. Like it, instead yeah. of like, like the slow, like, Oh, I'm going to take my time to get over there. It was just like, like, what, you know, or, or just snappier. And, and I think it became funnier. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in a, in a subtle way as far as you know as much as i could do i'll tell you an early editing story like a uh because uh, back in the day man cells and p- film <laughs> you know now yeah. we just edit on on our on laptops but uh one of the first times on my first shows i sat with uh lee harding one of the one of the editors in the early days of, of king of the hill and uh there's this episode where Boomhauer um, gets uh, uh, pulled into an insane asylum, a mental hospital. Oh, we you just know, talked about. I love this yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, uh, but but the, so Dale, you know, they all get Dale, and then Bill gets sucked in as well. And uh, uh, all I'm getting at is like this is where I learned in my early days about editing. This is going to sound so simple, but because it is. But like Dale was looking away, and the and the doctor was like. Um, go on and dale the dale's next line was did you just say go mom (laughs) but so i had him looking away and then like you know turn to the doctor say did you just say go mom and the way it was timed the way he came back from korea uh you know he he just turned his head smoothly and said did you just say go mom but this is the first time where it's like i'm sitting with the editor i'm uh um, one of my first ever edit sessions uh and I was like, can we yank out some frames here? So he turns his head really fast. So it's like, you know, you know, go on. Did you just say go, mom? And it, <laughs> it instantly made the editor laugh. And 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 I felt really proud. It's like one of the first editorial notes I ever gave. And I was like, oh, shit, that's that worked. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> yeah. I, wow. I could do I could affect the show. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, faster is funnier. <laughs> For for the life of me, I cannot remember his. I can see his name. What's the voice actors for Dale? I can't. For the life of me, I Johnny, can't. Johnny Johnny Hardwick. Johnny Hardwick. Yeah, jo- yeah Johnny Hardwick. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I loved about this, and I don't know. I know I just talked about it with Paul, but I'd love to talk to uh, talk to you about it as well. Um, up until recently, you know, I I would watch the credits and stuff, but I wouldn't watch the credits because it's one of those shows that I've seen so many fucking times. King of the Hill, I've watched the series back and front like seven or eight times, man. It's just one of those ones where if I'm cooking, I want it on in the background because I want to listen to something. I don't have to pay attention because I could literally, if you let me listen to the first 30 seconds of any fucking episode, 
I know what episode is going to be. It's weird. I have no, <laughs> like I've got, <laughs> like this brain works for fucking movie quotes, animation, you know, cooking recipes in the NBA. That's all it works for. <laughs> if I could somehow turn that into, like if, if this brain yeah. worked for science and math, the way it works for shit, that's never going to do anything for me other than, <laughs> you know, catch me some clout with some fans and some people that it worked on the show. Yeah. Like I would be a mad scientist and a billionaire somewhere. Right. But <laughs> it works for the shit that I love. But, uh, you know, I, I just happened to look up and it was during this episode, the same episode we we're just talking about the naked ambition is the one where the, the, the boys get into the insane asylum, um, you know, because it ends with, you know, uh, all of them going home, Boomhauer floating down the river and he ends mm-hmm. up in, you know, Dallas or whatever it is, you know, sunburnt fucked up. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, I just happened to look up and I see Johnny Harwick's name as, as, a, as a writer for this one. And I'm like. Huh. And then the next episode, he did the same thing. And I asked Paul, like, what was it like working with a guy that was bringing the character to life through his voice, but he was also bringing the character to life because of the stories he was helped writing and the stories he was collaborating with the other writers. So what was what was working with him like as far as the writing portion goes? Because I got to imagine if he's as funny, half as funny as he is when he's behind the microphone, I got to imagine that translates to the writer's room as well. I guess. Yeah. I mean, we were treated like a production house so like i didn't get to spend too much time uh with with the writers uh, unless we were pitching the animatic you know Mm -hmm. so that was the only time or parties (laughs) i got to socialize with them so i can't i I can't say anything to like working with them directly i mean we i would go to a couple record sessions and just see how organic everything was i guess there were Mm -hmm. words on a page and we, we would get that passed but then um uh I, I was in a room once where we're watching um, Johnny uh, just throw lines at Sarah Michelle Geller. Just be like, hey, mm-hmm. say it like this. Someone throw it like that. And 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 seeing, because I think her character was like, she the character got up and like, mom, dad, we're leaving. And so yeah. Johnny was like, what, what if he threw out two names? Like, oh yeah, this woman, this female, this young girl character uh, calls her parents by their first names. And it's like, yeah. oh shit, Johnny wrote that, came up with that idea in the record booth mm-hmm. uh, so so that that impressed a young anthony uh, at the time i can like, imagine oh, yeah it. of course yeah you could you could again it comes down to like what's what's on the page is on the page but it's not gospel you could still collaborate you could still build mm-hmm. off of it you could still uh, mold and change and make better um so that's something I learned from Johnny. <laughs> Just seeing that. <laughs> that's pretty cool, man. Did now I, I know you said you guys were kind of kept separate because of the production. Everybody said that to you guys didn't get any kind of um, bleeding over to theirs. They didn't really get too much into bleeding over to yours. But I heard that you guys would have um, whether it was tape recorders, but you could listen to the recordings of the the actors giving the lines, so you can kind of feel like the emotion that they were kind of put in. So you, it would oh, give sorry. you a better picture of the story. Um, I got to imagine, though, hearing some of those lines, because Dale in particular, in my opinion, I don't think it, it's him and Cotton as far as funniest characters in this in this show, this series goes, yeah. because everybody knows a fucking Dale Gribble and a Rusty Shackle. Everybody yeah. has a Fox News dad or, or, or a Fox mm. News uncle, got somebody that's super deep into conspiracies. Everybody knows somebody. So that's why I like that that correlation, because we can literally point to 
that's my uncle Larry or that's my uncle Jerry, you know, what have you, or that's my uncle Dale right there. Yeah, um, yeah. What are, what is that like? You're sitting here, you're trying to draw these characters, you're trying to get in the minds of these characters and you're hearing the voices played back. I got to imagine you guys are laughing pretty hard at some of this shit, but is it hard mm-hmm. to kind of get into the mode listening to these because the shit is so funny or is no. it just second nature and it's easy? It's second nature now for sure. I mean, what it is, I mean, the, the, the tempo and the reads is what's driving mm-hmm the certainly the acting of course but it also drives the cuts sometimes yeah like um like i forget what episode it was uh that i did where um bill do i have a cell set up yeah whatever episode this was like like it might have been cotton's plot where where, (laughs) here's a cell set up from that so back in the day we used to get these cell setups so Uh um i think it was this episode where uh uh Peggy gets cut out of her body cast. Yep. It was just a quick example of how the reads dictate staging, you know? So like um, they were passing around her body cast, you know, here's Bill yep. playing Boggle with, uh, with, her, with his version of Peggy. Dale borrows it so he could use the cast. Carpool lane. Carpool lane. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, <laughs> so watching that recently, Boomhauer gets, uh, you know, it, it, he's he takes the the cast out of uh, Dale's truck, and, and you know, in his mumbly way, he's 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 uh, insulting Dale. But the way um, the voice was, the way the line was read, like he's like, "Shame on you, man!" And there was a, a pause. Shame or whatever, whatever. Dang old man, that's shame. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, what I'm getting at is like. We had Boomhauer like take it and it's like shame on you, bang, you know, and then leave, and then like and then lean back in, damn old shame, you know. <laughs> so it was because of the read that that inspired that staging, you know, the the idea of leaving and then comedy back. Le- leaning back into frame. Uh, <laughs> but it was because of the way Mike read that line, uh, mm-hmm. inspired that that shot, you know, the way. The reason why it was shot through the car so we could use the car door as a curtain for, for Boomhauer to step out and step in. You know, um, so there you go. The audio drove the the visual. Drove the story and drove the uh, the art. Did you ever hear, uh, I, I can't remember if I heard it on a, a podcast that Mike was on, but he had talked about how he came up with the voice for Boomhauer. Do you ever hear that story? Oh, I feel like I had, but I don't remember. There was uh, it was back in his Beavis and Butthead days. And uh, there was a guy that he called in. He was like angry, but he was also watching the show. So I I can't remember how the whole thing was. I think it was on Mark Maron's podcast. This is going back almost like a decade because it was he was promoting Silicon Valley, which is another phenomenal show. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, he was talking about it. And he was like, yeah, the guy called in. He's like, he sounded almost exactly like I do Boomhauer. And that's yeah. how the voice did. And he was like, he just ended it with like, dang old buttholes, man. And then that's how, <laughs> that's, that's how he got Boomhauer, Boomhauer's voice. Cause he didn't think he knew it was buttheaded. He just thought the guy's name was butthole. And he was just like, yeah, man, dang old butthole. And then that's how he cut off dang the, old, uh, cut off. Dang old, yeah. <laughs> dang old butthole. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's he's another great character, man. Like I said, from start to finish, this show is just fucking phenomenal. I mean, like from the acting, the writing, the art, just you guys crushed yeah. it right out of the bat, man. Um, I, I, I got to meet Brad Pitt because of the show. I did yeah? the, uh, the Patch Boomhauer episode where uh, oh, Brad, Brad played, he, yeah, he played his brother. 
And uh, I remember going back and forth with the design, like, because uh, I, I, you know, I drew Patrick Boomhauer's design. I was like, what if it's pretty much Boomhauer, but just a little bump in his nose, you know? And I, and I gave him, <laughs> gave him a mullet. Yeah. Know, so, so like, and like, whoever the showrunner at the time, it wasn't Greg Daniels. He had left uh, to go do the Office uh, by that mm-hmm. time, and um, they they were like, no, no, it's got to look like Brad Pitt. It's got to look like Brad Pitt, and like. We had rounds and rounds of designs and I was like, man, this is looking lame now. This doesn't look yeah. like patch, you know? So then I was so happy when it, these designs got back down to, uh, 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 to Mike judge. And he was like, what the hell is this? And he, and he saw my original <laughs> drawing. He's like, that's Boomhauer's brother. And yeah. I was like, yes, vindication. <laughs> what was your moment like with Brad? Do you get to talk to him at all? Barely, you know, it was just barely. <laughs> Yeah, it was just was this before record. Fight Club. Oh shoot, I don't remember. Yeah, maybe I. Well, I do remember his car. He drove a, a Prius, and somebody like scraped up his car. They Damn. scraped up his car. <laughs> like, trying to I drive a it. Prius. Me and Brad are the same. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I fucking hate it. I traded into my Jeep for this thing, but I was filling up three times a week when gas was at four dollars a gallon. I had a Jeep that was getting like twelve miles a gallon. Yeah. I had to fill up three times a week because I was in college and I was working full time. So I'm driving 45 minutes to an hour one way to go two hours the opposite way to come back home yeah, an hour. You know, I was putting on a fuck ton of miles on my car every week. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, it was. Uh, I've been driving a Prius for like over 12 years at least. Yeah. Uh, get when gas came five dollars a gallon. Mm-hmm. Like I've been made fun of. Like, look at this guy fucking trying to save the world. It's like, no, I'm not. Just trying to save fucking money, man. Gas <laughs> is five dollars a gallon. Fuck you. This shit was fucking wild, dude. I, I've been uh, I've been looking now, dude. I've I've been it's I sound like I need a mullet when I say the, the car I want to buy, dude. The fucking new Broncos, they are. I don't know shit about cars. I just know what I like as far as looks go. Aesthetically, that thing is fucking gorgeous, man. Uh, I I love the Bronco. I, I need a mullet if I'm gonna drive a Bronco, yeah, but yeah, nonetheless, yeah. man, they're they're fucking phenomenal. Um, you know, mullet. so we talked. Uh, we went pretty in-depth as far as wings of the dope goes for uh with me and paul um but uh, i figure because i, I want to talk about some of the new stuff you're doing now uh that way we can push some fans towards it because uh we've gotten a lot of cool behind the scenes stories you're probably the first person that's opened up with a lot of the uh you know the behind the scenes stories but before we get to to what you're working on now um i want to read off a couple names here man and then just first thoughts whenever you think about them if there's like one word to describe them or a sentence or if you had a funny story or funny interaction with them or if you learned something from them man i think it'd be pretty cool so i figure we start at the top man mike judge when you hear that name what's the first thought that comes to mind dang old buttholes dang old buttholes man (laughs) dang old buttholes (laughs) <laughs> Dang old buttholes. Uh, so when we think of Greg Daniels, obviously you said getting to see him break down an issue mm-hmm. or work out an issue in a non-linear format really opened up your oh. perception on how to on how to do what you do, man. But when you hear Greg Daniels, yeah. man, what do you think about? Yeah, he's a smart motherfucker. Yeah, uh, yeah, really, really smart, charismatic. It was. Um, uh, I, I got a story for for that. It's like. So uh, my wife at the time was English. So I watched uh, The Office, you know, mm-hmm. the English version. You know, Ricky Gervais. Weird, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I fucking loved it, even though there was only six episodes or something. You know, it was great. So I'm in a, a meeting with Greg Daniels and uh, he's like, hey, I'm, I'm going to try to I'm bringing The Office over to America. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts about who to cast? You know, because he hadn't cast Steve Carell. Who do you think you'd play it? And, and like, here I am, like, fucking 
26 year old punk going like man i have no idea who you cast but just don't fuck it up buttholes <laughs> man <laughs> but i'm just like i immediately like got like scared i was like whoa i just told my my technically my boss multi-millionaire don't fuck, this up. Don't fuck yeah. it up <laughs> I was like what the hell what was his response do you remember so- he just kind of looked at me, <laughs> you know, like, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I think we, I quickly changed the subject. We might have been talking about Y two K and and uh, how upset we both were that the world didn't yeah. fall to shit. <laughs> Dude, I was so fucking terrified at Y two K. I was yeah. fuck two thousand two thousand. I'm just turning yet. Yeah, I I wasn't even eleven yet, so I was ten, right? Mm. And I want to say I'm pretty sure this episode came out before Y2K or it might have came out after Y2K. But I remember seeing this very close to before or after. And I remember it terrifying. Like Y2K terrified the shit out of me because that's all the adults were. That's all the adults yeah. were talking about. Mm-hmm. Computers. I, I didn't even have a computer at home. Yeah. The computer's going to do this. I was like, what the fuck is computer? Right. <laughs> and then, you know, we had one in, in my classroom or one, you know, a couple in the school. You know, I remember mm-hmm. the first thing I printed off of a fucking printer. Dragon Ball Z was huge when i was in like fifth grade sixth grade somewhere around there fifth fourth grade excuse me fourth grade because it was before i moved so dragon ball z pictures like you'd print off on the you could print one picture every time you went to the computer lab that was used as like school kid currency like oh shit you got that fucking super saiyan goku (laughs) bro i got the super piccolo what's up you want to trade so that was like i said that's what we used for fucking currency and then you hear like computers aren't going to work i was like i just got a basic understanding on how to turn this fucker on and now you're telling me the shit's gonna not work and planes are gonna fall out of the sky it's fucking terrified because of my parents being terrified man you know so like i said that that y2k that y2k episode it really like I said, either brought back that fear, that irrational fear I had as a kid, because it, at that point in time, like I said, it felt like it was going to be real. But uh, yeah, yeah man, that was another great episode. Nu- 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 nuclear war. I see yeah. uh, the Iron Giant behind you. I got a oh, dude. Yeah. Brad Bird in you know early seasons of King of the Hill. Brad Bird would give storyboard notes. Oh, you got a cool Brad Bird stories. That was the next well, name on my list. Well, well, oh well, uh, mission. What he did, Mission Impossible Four, which was mm. one of the, which was the best one. I know, but he's a brilliant filmmaker. He's one of yes, the guys that I study as well. But what I'm getting at is like one of my storyboards, uh, like was just uh, actually I have a cell set up of of that scene, <laughs> right? Just just them sitting around the table, right? So I drew all right storyboard panel and. Did somebody erase that tree that you drew back there? Nah, yeah, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, I got a note from Brad Bird saying, "This is this is a beautiful storyboard panel, or this is this is beautiful." Oh, that's so cool. And you know, it was the real. It wasn't a photocopy. It was his real sharpie on paper. And I was like, "Who the hell is Brad Bird?" Whoop! I oh <laughs> no! Really? God yeah. damn! I didn't, I didn't fucking know better. I'm a dumb fucking twenty year old. Uh, but I wish I, I don't, I hadn't kept any of that stuff. Uh, yeah, like a fucking moron. But that's my Brad Bird story, where it's like, man, he complimented my work, <laughs> dude. That that guy, the Iron Giant, is my favorite animated movie of all time. It's also the first tattoo I ever got. I oh, got, what? uh, yeah, I'll show it to you real quick. I've showed, <laughs> I've showed it so many times, but I'm just so fucking proud of it. And then as soon as I got it, my friend was like, oh, it looks like the Iron Giant's taking a shit. 
on your uh, goddamn microphone. So it's him oh, just yeah, sitting yeah. there. He's staring, but he's sitting on this mountainside and shit like that. Uh, yeah, on a pile it, of shit. <laughs> yeah, pile of shit. No, he's sitting on a, a mountainside. You know, the the hills and and the trees are going up and everything. And then, um, you know, the iron. He's 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 right right back here. He's he's going to be right above. Um, Oh, nice. Frankenstein Jr. Because you got Frankenstein Jr. back there. And and I'll, I'll send you a picture later. Um, but uh, yeah, he's going to be up there because that, that movie is so fucking important to me as a kid, to an adult. Mm-hmm. Still fucking makes me emotional every time. That very rarely will I say something is a perfect movie. There's a couple movies that I can point to. You know, obviously, The Iron Giant. Obviously, Ratatouille. Obviously, The Incredibles. What all three things does have in common? <laughs> all directed by Brad Bird, right? You know, yeah. but you also got Back to the Future. First one, perfect movie. The Dark Knight, right? The second one in the Nolan the Nolan trilogy. Yeah, yeah. Perfect fucking movie. And The Godfather. I'm pretty sure if I extrapolate, yeah. I can find a lot more perfect yeah. movies. But those, like, five, six come to mind. Perfect movies. Yeah, um, they're, they're good ones. Oh, a hundred percent. Um, and uh, the next one, I f- meant to ask you this before we hit record because if you didn't have any contact with them, it kind of sucks to bring it up. And you know, but Ian Wilcox, man. So you know, oh, every, yeah. I, I yeah. figured you would because just because of how far you 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 know you went. Um, you know, we, I've talked with a, a lot of guys, but uh, like I said, when somebody passes away and they're no longer here, I like to try to immortalize that person with a story. Um, it doesn't have to be a crazy story or anything like that. But when you think of yeah. Ian, is there, uh, you know, an interaction you guys had or a story from work that you guys oh, might share? Did anyone tell you about the practical joke that we played on him? I don't think so. Studio wide practical joke. So, yeah, Ian, when you were mentioning earlier about the, the people who passed, like Ian immediately popped to mind because mm-hmm. he he's he was one of our background guys he was one of the greatest human beings you would know like he was he was such a a true gentleman and uh so yeah he passed away about a year ago and uh he's very very missed by all of us for sure great man but uh <clears throat> so my story uh, i played a practical joke <laughs> yeah and um but basically, like I came in one day wearing a nice shirt, like it was a buttoned down shirt. Normally, I'm wearing like Megadeth shirts or whatever. That day, for some reason, I was wearing a nice shirt. So Ian asked me, like, why are you, why are you all dressed up? And I was like, oh, immediately. I don't know why I said this. Well, I guess it's because like just prior to that, he was complaining about, I guess, Clone High had just come mm-hmm. out or was coming out or something. Interestingly enough, there's a reboot of it. Yeah. Uh, on, on the horizon or now or but anyway uh, so i made a joke of like oh yeah yeah I, I just came back from an interview uh i'm gonna go uh i i, I met with the clone high people <laughs> which he's already was saying at the time he how, he, how much he hated that, the idea uh so he was like what you interview I was like yeah man i, I want to i'm gonna get the fuck out of here and i just left <laughs> like i just, <laughs> just stopped the conversation left so then the a couple days later uh i i go up to him and was like hey man i got the gig so i'm leaving i'm gonna go over to clone high and he was like what no you're not i was like yeah man i'm gonna go uh direct on clone high um so basically uh cut to the punchline um we made a going away card for me and everybody on the crew was in on it like people were writing the most heartfelt messages like you know, go with God, you know, Jesus loves you. And, and I hope Ian just says, fuck you. Well, well, no, then he wrote like he saw like, oh, 
shit, everyone's right. You know, when the card got to him, there was already a lot of signatures on it yeah. and messages. And so he wrote one of the most heartfelt things. I can't recall what it was, but it was like, man, I'm really going to miss you. You know, you're one of my best friends, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, uh, you know, we had a going away party. <laughs> uh, I mean, you guys Friday. really bought into this one. It's because everyone loves Ian. Everyone yeah. loved him, you know? So, so everyone was... <laughs> was was game to play this joke on him so so we had a going away party they, they present me this going away card like there's tears in ian's eyes you know it's like like man we're really gonna miss you i'm like okay guys we hug we leave on friday monday morning i, go, I show up to work he's like what what are you doing here i was like i work here asshole <laughs> and i walk away <laughs> what what and then you know all the people revealed oh yeah that was all a joke we all played a joke on you ian <laughs> But but he, he felt no, he felt so warm because of it. You know, like yeah, everybody loves you, man. That's why everyone partook in this joke on you. <laughs> Any chance he got to get you guys back? Uh, I don't think he got me back. Not for that. I can just imagine him. You remember Billy Madison, where it's Steve Buscemi, and at the end of the thing, he's crossing off people off the list, <laughs> and he's putting lipstick on. I could just imagine him, Steve Buscemi, and people's names off of the list. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah man we used to have a lot of fun on that crew we we had a we had a for two separate seasons we had a crew-wide risk game that has anyone told you about the risk game yet no no so we put multiple maps together and mm -hmm. like it was like a ten dollar ante and like 30 of us played risk like uh it, the map was hidden around a corner so the so production managers couldn't see it <laughs> didn't find it and the idea and the game lasted 100 days mm -hmm. and the idea was like God, you could walk damn. around yeah you could walk around with dice and just like challenge somebody and the rule was like if i if i got challenged fuck i got to roll dice in the middle of the hallway <laughs> we're fighting over kamchatka go <laughs> but Who yeah ended up winning Fuck. Uh, I remember the first season. Oh shit! This this young woman, I forget her name. Damn, but she won like 140 bucks or something. Yeah. You know, and and then the second game, I don't think had a winner. I think it, it started getting down to uh to the, the like two or three people left, and then there was a, certainly two. Paul Cunningham was one of our our uh, layout artists, and he didn't want to play in the first place, and here he was like. <laughs> Like Invested. about to win, yeah. But like, yeah. he just got like he he got sick and tired of playing because like so many people were in his ear telling him what to do, and he's like, "Dude, I got work to do. <laughs> I don't want to fucking." He didn't want to play Risk in the first place. He got he got pressured into it. <laughs> Was it a season by season game? Yeah, it would last well a hundred days. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't know if it was yeah. uh, if it was like you guys had one in season one, season two, season three. And no, no, there was one. Days. I think the first one started in like season five or six, and then and okay. the season after that, we 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 played it again, but with three maps, you yeah. know. And so we connected like uh, you know, uh, Alaska to Africa or something, you know, and mm -hmm. mixed that up. But then I do remember a story like our production manager, like she she came around that corner and she's like. Oh, <laughs> like because so much work went into this like everyone had a, a flag they designed post-its with their own uh -huh. uh, flag and <laughs> that's how we kept track of who owned what territory you would just put your post-it with a mm. you know, army number of armies uh but yeah the our production manager was like, <laughs> like like finding like a 
roach infestation. <laughs> Which is like, what the hell is this? <laughs> That's fantastic, man. So I, I got to <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, well, I'm just saying, I don't think they made us stop playing. <laughs> well, that's a good, th- I've heard, I've heard some stories uh, when I had Craig McCracken on, I had Chris battle. And so Craig McCracken created the Powerpuff Girls, obviously. And then, you know, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends and Wander Over Yonder and, and, and Kid Cosmic most recently on Netflix. And then um, Chris battle, you know, character designer for Samurai Jack, Powerpuff Girls, Teen Titans go so many things. And I've had a few other guys that have, you know, been in that same sphere as far as TV shows and crews and stuff. And the one thing that everybody brought up, especially back then, was the 64. And everybody was playing Mario Kart, which is my one of my all-time favorite games all time. I've actually got the 64 back there. I'm going to plug it in sometime this weekend. I got to put up a fence, unfortunately, uh, Saturday and Sunday. So I won't be able to play too much. But I'm, I'm for sure hooking the 64 up this weekend. Um, and then they, they got hooked on that one in the Zelda game that it came out around 97, 98, somewhere around there in that era. And then it got to the point where it's like Gendy's in there, Tartakovsky, and, and he's looking at Craig, and then like everybody is behind on their boards. Everybody is behind on everything. And then he, he goes to look around. He's like, we're playing too many video games. We need to get back yeah. to work. And then I can't remember who said it. It was either Chris or Craig. He's like, yeah, if you guys need help beating this game, let us know so we can get back to work. Because we got <laughs> we got to beat this game as a team. We can't be we can't be going backwards on work here and sit. So it's always interesting to see like what what you guys do to not only fill the time but to like burn time and you know come come together as a crew like that. So risk is a oh, risk is the first one. So thank you good. for sharing that story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do a lot of stuff for building morale and, and crew stuff, but while still mm-hmm. having fun, you know, I do uh, Easter egg hunts, not on Easter, just like random, yeah. random times <laughs> of the year. And I'll hide uh, three golden tickets in, in mm-hmm. three eggs. So there's three grand prizes, you know, otherwise they yeah. get candy or with big mouth, I hide little dicks and <laughs> little plastic <laughs> dicks in, in the eggs. Uh, <laughs> a little vaginas. My, my, my wife. <laughs> My wife's boss, uh, uh, you know, she 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 likes sending me things that are fucked up. So um, I don't I don't know. I don't know how or what it what it what happened was. But she sent me like a really cool thing. So I used to have these like little notepads um, that said for scribbles and it was Snoop Dogg smoking. And it was like a little like fucking like a little notepad stuff, but it had an animation or it had a little cartoon picture of Snoop Dogg smoking and it just said faux scribbles. And I was like, I'm going to use this all the time. I thought it was really cool. She saw me like it or something like that. So she sent me a pack of them. And then, you know, it was probably like six months later and uh, I get a box and there's no name on it. And I'm like, huh, this is going to be interesting. And this is like the height of glitter bombs. And I was like, I don't want to open this because (laughs) I don't, I don't want a glitter bomb. Right. So I'm sitting there. I'm, 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 opening or not opening i'm just staring at it. i'm like ah oh, fuck it you know i'm shaking it around i was like well it sounds like something's in there that's not gonna blow up so i open it up and it's a bag of gummy dicks like dick and balls <laughs> and it's yeah. gummies yeah so she had <laughs> sent me a box and i was literally asking i'm like and it comes kind of weird like hey man did you send me a package like no what is it and i was like did you just send me a package or not? And they're like, what is it? So I would send, <laughs> I was sending people pictures of gummy dicks. I was like, did you send me these? No, I went through like 14 people and she was literally the first person I asked. And she's like, no, I didn't send them. I got, why would I want to waste my money on that? A bag of dicks. I was like, all right, well you seem, you seemed real. So I went to the next one and it was like two fucking weeks. It took me to figure out who did it. And I was like, that's something and my wife slipped on. I was like, you son of a bitch, you were in on this. <laughs> yeah. Send me a bag of gummy dicks, man. All right. So before we, 
wrap it up, man, I know you dropped the dropped the show a couple of times. And before we wrap this up, uh, I would love to have you back on, man, because obviously, you know, you sitting here reminiscing about the King of the Hill times. I'm pretty sure as soon as we get off this call, it happens all the time. You're going to have some more memories that are going to come in of shows, some people you worked with. It's all going to flood back. It happens all the fucking time. You'll literally go and call and be like, oh fuck, why didn't I say that story? Or why didn't I bring that one up? It happens all the time. So I'd love to have you back on down the road. If you're ever up for it, man, I'd love to have you back on. Yeah, yeah um, sure. It's been cool, more man. fun. Thank you. I appreciate that. I've had a lot of fun doing this. Plus, like I said, I love covering this topic. King of the Hill, perfect, perfect, the best animated adult show of all time or adult sitcom of all time. Um, yeah. So yeah, anytime you want to come back on, let me know. We'll do another deep dive in King of the Hill. But before we do, man, there's two shows that you had mentioned beforehand that you're working on now, uh, both Big Mouth and Human Resources. Um, you yeah. said Human Resources yeah. just released its final season. And then well, we can say, I hope we can say that. If not, I can edit this out. Um, but, and then Big Mouth, they're going into your last season is what you said. Yeah, or yeah, it's been announced. Season? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Human Human Resources season two dropped on Netflix last week. Uh, whenever it's now June. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, um, and uh, well, with the writer strike, we were meant to start Big Mouth season eight. Yeah. Uh, last month, but uh, everything's going to be delayed a little bit while while the writers iron out the strike. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, we're we're this that what is what helped helped uh, keep me sane during this pandemic. You know, we did. Yeah. Basically five seasons back to back to back to back to back. Uh, That's fucking wild. Season five of Big Mouth. Then we did HR one, season six of Big Mouth, HR two, season seven of Big Mouth. Yeah, five seasons. Um, so uh, it's it's bittersweet. The 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 strike sucks, but selfishly, I welcome the break. <laughs> I can imagine, man. Yeah, you know, I'm sorry, guys. That, that a lot of people are out of work it sucks, but uh, man, I'm grateful for a little breath before diving into season eight. Oh, I can imagine, man. Redlining and working both sides, burning the candle at both ends, fucking sucks, man. But yeah, you know, it is it is rewarding. It is fun at the end of the day. But like I said, it is pretty taxing. Uh, with some of these shows, man, especially like I said, you just dropped the. Uh, I haven't seen Human Resources yet. I only I've only seen the first season of Big Mouth. Like I said, there's just so much stuff out there. Trying to play catch up and yep. trying to play dad and trying to play like fucking breadwinner going to work and all this other shit. Trying to find yeah. time for anything new is fun. Literally, uh, literally breadwinner, right? Yeah, ah, <laughs> see what you did maker. there. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you should write fucking, you should write stories and stuff like that. What, what are you thinking? <laughs> but uh, no, what can, what can the folks, obviously you can't talk too much about it because you guys, you haven't started working on it yet. Um, but, uh, are you pretty happy with, as far as once it's all said and done, are you happy with what you got accomplished on both big mouth and human resources? Oh, for sure. For sure. Like you said something earlier about like, what's it like working with the voices all day, just mm-hmm. listening. I'll tell you uh, this story where, uh, one of the ADs, um, this woman, Katie, who works on the show, um, during the pandemic, she was, she went home just to sp- spend time, uh, with her folks, uh, because we're all locked down. So this is in the middle of us working on human resources. And we joke and we curse a lot. We talk about dicks a lot. You know, we talk mm-hmm. about uh, a lot of dirty jokes and stuff. So um, I kind of said like, Katie, your your dad just walked by. Is he comfortable and cool with us making all these rude jokes all the time? And and so she told a really nice story where, where it was just like at dinner one time, her dad said to her, 
I hear you laughing all day, and that just makes me feel so warm and happy for you. Oh, that's this so is, cool. This, yeah, and 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 that's the truth, man. When this is one of the things I miss, uh, laughing all day, all mm-hmm. day, every day, because jamming with uh, the directors and board artists and going discussing the scenes, and I mean, not only are we joking about stuff, but the content that we're working on and the and listening to Nick Kroll's voices. Uh, no other job in the world can I can I just laugh like genuinely yeah. laugh with friends all day, you know. And and so therefore, like working over Zoom hadn't didn't slow us down at all. Like mm-hmm. we could be in the same room, ribbing each other and making jokes and laughing about what we're doing. But and then over Zoom, it just it didn't stop. <laughs> like we were just able yeah. to uh, uh, just laugh and laugh, man. That's that's. That's one of the joys of of the job is it's fucking funny. <laughs> oh, I can and, imagine. You know, uh, me and my line producer, Nate Fanaro, we we have a rule, no assholes on the crew. <laughs> so when we're uh, interviewing people uh, to cast them onto the show, uh, we, you know, we only choose people that we would want to hang out with. Yeah. And and that's our crew. And, and they we actually become really good friends with everybody Mm -hmm. like i said like the people that i met on king of the hill 20 years ago we're still either working together or still good friends you know like we might not see each other for a while but when we do have lunch and it's like it's just back to old times and you know they're they're friendships you make for life and uh so now that i'm 50 i realize like oh my friends are 32 35 38 (laughs) like i get older but my friends stay the same age It's funny how that shit works, ain't it? My, <laughs> yes. my best friends are a, a 14 year old, almost a 14 year old, and almost two year old, and like a two month old man. Because those those people I see more than anybody, you know. <laughs> yeah, man. So yeah. Uh, I like I like yeah, ending it with this question because this show meant so much to so many of us, right? King of the Hill. Mm-hmm. Like I said, when I think about this show, I've said it on so many of these episodes. So, ladies and gentlemen, I apologize, but I have to say this. This show, much like Hey Arnold, taught me how to be a good person, right? Hey Arnold taught me how to be a good kid. King of the Hill watching this as a kid and watching this as an adult has put in so many values, you know, that I might have learned as I've gotten older, but it kind of sped me up. It fast-tracked me to being a better person. I learned a lot of cool shit from watching this show. Um, When you take a step back and you look at it, man, because we've been sitting here reminiscing for about two hours on your career and what you did over at King of the Hill and some of the episodes and some of the people you got to work with, man. But when you take a step back and you really think about King of the Hill as a whole, you know, the friendships you've made, the the episodes you got to create, the Emmy that you should have won, you know, all of these things that kind of come together and can encapsulate your time on there. Uh, what's the first word, first sentence, first paragraph that comes to mind, you know, when you think of your time on King of the Hill? Yeah, family. You yeah. Know, it's like we, the, it's a tight crew, you know, and we, like I I kind of worded this earlier where it's like when you're in the trenches together, like mm-hmm. you bond, you know, and, yeah. and we were all just trying to figure it out at the same time. Uh, even though we had some mentors showing us the light, uh, there's a lot of new, fresh discovery. But but yeah, family. We're still we're, a lot of us are still really close, you know. Um, Beautiful. That's, yeah, that's that. Yeah. I'll end with that word. 
Man, beautiful man. You're not the uh, you're not the first, and I guarantee you will not be the last person that uses that term uh, to, like I said, encapsulate your time on King of the Hill. Well, like I said, Anthony, this has been a lot of fun. I can't wait to do this again. And he's been Anthony. I've been Julian. It's been a What's My Head podcast, and it's been another piece of your childhood. Good night.